0: Beautiful singing this morning, thank you so much for uh, being here, being in your place, listening to this music and this presentation. Uh, My goal today is to get us thinking a little bit about missions. Uh, Once a year we have an emphasis where we all dig a little deeper and decide what we're going to give uh, in a a given calendar year uh, toward the Great Commission. Here at River City we do far more than just what our missions commitments are. 30% Thirty percent of our annual budget right now is given to church planning and international mission. So, meaning every dollar you give uh, to River City Baptist Church, thirty cents of it goes to somebody hearing about Jesus, and that's what we're all about here. So, I believe that that's something that you can get behind. I believe it's something that uh, where so many places can get caught up in just buildings and people and and programs for itself. I think it's I think it's a shame churches are so inside focused rather than nations focused and that's what we're going to do as long as I'm breathing and as long as I'm the pastor here uh, we're going to keep the focus of our church on the Great Commission because that's what it's all about and to put a little perspective into what Kyle was talking about if Jacksonville had the same percentage of Christians as Kolkata there would only be 1,000 Christians in this city That basically be four river cities. Think about that. Can you imagine only having four churches like this in this entire city? Well, it would be overwhelming. That's what they're facing in Kolkata. Only the difference is they have 20 times more people than we have. It's It's an extraordinary thing to think about. 20,000 Christians in a city of 20 million people. It's just overwhelming. Don't start thinking about it too much. You might end up going there, okay? And I'm just kidding because we actually hope you will. That would be great, wouldn't it? If River City was spread not only here but also uh, in, uh, in, 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 in the areas we're already going. But I am so uh, touched and moved by this family from right here in our city working in the medical profession right here in our city to leave and go to preach the gospel Uh, to the other part of the world is an extraordinary thing here's the bottom line missions is a must not a maybe and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Jonah chapter 4 now I know you're all excited about Jonah today I've got some text from people reading the book of Jonah I'm going to hit this from a totally different angle today you know the story of Jonah Jonah is a dude that had a real bad trip okay I had a real bad trip last week, but it had nothing to do with my own doing. Last week, I was flying home from Vermont. Um, I don't go there often. I don't want to go there often. Uh, it is way up there. It's a lot colder than here. I was actually 30 minutes from Montreal, Canada speaking at a couples conference I had a real tight schedule to get back and of course things just didn't work out missed my first flight and that just dominoed all my other flights I get to Philadelphia and I'm trying to figure out how can I possibly make it home to preach last Sunday and so I had two options one was stay overnight in Philadelphia and miss church and uh, that was not really my favorite option but then the guy on the phone said hey I got one other option here you can fly to Boston tonight you will get to Boston at 11 o'clock And then there's a flight that leaves Boston at 5 o'clock in the morning. You can then still get to Jacksonville by 9.30. I said, hey, why not? Let's give it a shot. I mean, I know I'm not going to sleep. But hey, maybe I'll still make it to church. And so I sure did. I flew up to Boston, 11 o'clock at night, and uh, everything closed down. I could enter security at 3 o'clock in the morning. I had four hours. I knew I wasn't going to sleep, so I didn't think about getting a hotel room. So I just slept out there on the floor by the TSA pre-check. It was quite a night, okay? And so I had my backpack as my pillow and uh, laid there on the floor for about two hours. Woke up, got through security, 3 o'clock in the morning, get my bag resorted, boom, got a notification. My flight's delayed again. And all of a sudden, I knew I'm not going to make it, so my little adventure to Boston was a waste of time and a waste of a potential good night's sleep. And so, uh, look, I travel enough to know that there are twists and turns in the adventure. Jonah had a story like that. The problem with Jonah's twisted tale is that Jonah brought it on himself. In chapter number one, Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh. Now, I'll talk more about Nineveh in a minute, but basically Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. It is a huge town of uh, perhaps upwards of 500,000 people. Now, the Bible mentions 100,000 in chapter 4, but uh, that is uh, uh, likely a reference to uh, one section of the people. It was a very large city, no doubt. God called this man to go preach the gospel to Nineveh. Instead of going to preach the gospel in Nineveh, he literally turns around and instead of going east where Nineveh was, he goes west. And of course, when you go west, you're going to bump into the Mediterranean Sea from where he was. So in chapter number one, he starts going west, ends up at a, at a, at a, at a port town called Joppa, and he pays a fare to go on a ship to Tarshish. Now, there's some debate as to where Tarshish was, but let me tell you one thing that I know for sure. Tarshish was in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And so Jonah gets on this boat, and for God to get Jonah's attention, he does two things. First of all, he sends a turbulent storm in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and and, and it surfaces that Jonah was the problem. So God sends this massive storm in the sea, and as a result of this storm, Jonah ends up getting thrown overboard by the other people on the ship. And during his little swim session in the Mediterranean Ocean, God sent a second thing to Jonah, and that was a giant fish. Some people call it a whale. I don't know what it was, but it was a big fish, okay, big enough to swallow Jonah alive and whole. And for three days and three nights, he has a a really, really unique experience with God trying to get a hold of his attention uh, in the heart of that fish, Of course, when he gets in this predicament in chapter 2, Jonah prays to God. That's what chapter 2 is about. Jonah asking God for deliverance, thanking him for sparing him, thanking him for sending the fish and and rescuing him from the other things that could have happened to him. And as a result of this prayer meeting in Jonah chapter 2, God allows the fish to spit Jonah back up onto the seashore and basically urges him to go do the mission he called him to do in the first place. That's in chapter 3. So chapter 3, God says, I want you to go now. Do what I told you to do the first time. And this time, Jonah went. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you have? So Jonah reluctantly goes to Nineveh. He enters into the city. The Bible says in chapter 3, it'd take you three days to walk through the city of, of Nineveh. That's how big it was. And Jonah is walking through the city, and he starts preaching the gospel. Now, we only have a small record of what Jonah said. 40 days and then it will be destroyed. I have no uh, idea if that was the whole message or if that was just like the highlight reel of the message. But let me tell you something. It was message enough. Judgment is coming for your sin. And unless you repent and believe in God, you're going to be doomed in 40 days. My friends, I want to tell you, that is essentially the gospel message. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so there was deliverance from the the pending destruction through faith in God. And that's what Jonah says. And then we come to chapter 4. Now folks, this is where it gets really weird. But in Jonah chapter 4, let's pick the story up now in verse 1. Watch this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it. ...in the shade till he might see what the Lord... ...or see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant... ...that it might come over Jonah... ...and that it might shade uh, for his head... ...to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned the next day... ...God prepared a worm... ...so that it damaged the plant and it withered. And it happened when the sun rose... ...that God prepared a vehement... ...east wind and the sun beat down... ...on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished... Death for himself. And said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even even to death. But the Lord said, listen to this very carefully. You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow. Which came up in uh, in the night and perished in the night. And should not I have pity on Nineveh, that great city? In which are more than 120,000 persons, probably men, who cannot discern between the right hand and their left, much livestock. Amen. In Jonah, we're going to see that God has a heart for the nations. Now, you may think that Jonah is about a fish. It's not about a fish. And you may think that Jonah is about a prophet that disobeyed God. And Jonah's not about a prophet to disobey God. And you may think that Jonah is about a storm. It's not about a storm. You may even be tempted to think that Jonah is about a city, but it's not about a city. Jonah is about God. And what Jonah teaches us about God is this. God loves the people of all nations. The whole point of Jonah is this. Jonah, you are a prophet to Israel. You are preaching in a a economically secure, spiritually dead culture. Kind of like the United States of America, really. Economically prosperous, economically successful, affluent to be sure, and spiritually dead. And God says to Joan, I want you to leave the comforts of your job. I want you to leave the comforts of of your ministry to Israel. And I want you to go to, to, to Nineveh, that great city. And I want you to preach to that city because their wickedness is known to me as well. And once again, we're confronted with this idea through the minor prophets that that God understands the world. It's not just that God understands his people. God understands the entire world. God loves the entire world. And yes, God is sovereign over the entire world. Through this story, what we see repeated, I believe, as you think through this whole story, is this. God had a heart for Nineveh. And I want to share with you three reasons today why God has a heart for the nations. Number one, He has a heart for the nations because it is His nature. It is His nature. Folks, what I'm telling you is this. In the heart of God, He has a nature to love, forgive, and suffer long with all peoples in all places on this globe. I am telling you that according to John chapter 3 verse God so loved the world, that is, the entire world, that is, the people of the world. And church, I'm here to tell you, the reason that God was so passionate about Nineveh is because God has a heart for everybody in the world to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that might shock you when you read what the Bible and history tells us about Nineveh. For instance, go to chapter 1 and verse 2, it says this, It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, this is God speaking, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. According to Jonah and according to the book of Nahum, which you'll learn about in a couple of weeks, Nineveh was a bloody and gruesome city. Biblical authors believe that Nineveh was evil and deserved the punishment that ultimately it is going to receive. See, one day coming soon, Nineveh is going to fall. The Persian kingdom is going to be decimated. And ultimately, there'd be a new kingdom that would come, the kingdom of Babylon. And then, of course, Babylon would be decimated and Greece would rule the world. And then uh, Greece would be decimated and Rome would rule the world. And and everywhere there's this epicenter of people with these pagan mindsets, you find a group of people that literally hate God and live their lives accordingly. In fact, according to secular history and archaeology, Excavators found records of Sennacherib, which was a man who was sent by the Assyrian government to defeat Israel. He wrote this out in a diary, so to speak, and he describes what they did to the people of Israel. And this is kind of how he described it. He describes sieging the city, surrounding the city, impaling the people that were defeated. He describes Assyrian soldiers carrying off the spoil Lion hunting and other various images demonstrating Assyrian dominance in Israel. Literally, they would light the people of Israel on fire and hang them up on posts to lamp the city as they exited the city. It was complete and utter wickedness, it was complete and utter debauchery, and it was complete and utter intentional uh, 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 hatred and anger toward the people of God. Now folks, listen, you start thinking about how this would compare to our culture, it's, you just, enter, you just in, uh, uh, insert in there, right now, everything in this culture that makes your stomach turn. Everything in this culture that makes you angry. Everything in this culture just boils your blood. And that was Nineveh and Nineveh to the max. And folks, what I'm saying to you is even though this city was that wicked, the God of the universe loved them very much. In fact, look in chapter 4 verse 1. We see this in the exchange between God and Jonah. Look at what Jonah says. when, When they all repented and got saved, it says it displeased Jonah. Jonah was upset about this. We learned that Jonah did not go to Nineveh the first time because Jonah did not have the heart for Nineveh that God had. In fact, Jonah hated Nineveh. And you know what? In some cases, we can understand His family could have been destroyed by these Assyrians. He probably had people that he knew and cared for that were hurt by the Assyrians. And this is what Jonah says. Jonah says, God, this is what I told you the first time you called me. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. In Jonah chapter 4, God gives us a little insight into the exchange that took place between Jonah and God in chapter number 1. So in chapter number 1, you don't read this, but in Jonah chapter 4, you see this. In Jonah chapter 1, God calls Jonah, and Jonah just takes off. But in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah tells us what he told God in chapter 1. And this is what he told God. He said, God, this is why I left the first time. This is why I did not go the first time, because I knew this would happen. I knew you were going to forgive them. I knew you were going to save them. I knew you were going to have mercy on them. And here's why he says, he says, right this, listen. He says, because I knew that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and you relent from doing harm. Why did Jonah not want to go and preach to Nineveh? Because his own prejudice calls him to hate people that God loved. Hey, listen, I bet everybody in this room rejoices in the mercy, the loving kindness, the long-suffering, the fact that God is slow to anger, the fact that God is willing to relent from disaster that he's going to bring upon people. We love it when it comes to us. But we may not love it when it comes to people that we don't love. God is merciful, it means compassionate, he is kind. Slow to anger means, listen to this, God is not trigger happy. How many of you are glad that God is not trigger happy? God, the word literally means indulgent. It means that God has a large space for your sin. Somebody better help me up here. You know what I mean? I'm saying that God has a big space around him to allow you to breathe air today when you don't even deserve to breathe air today. And God allows us to live and breathe and borrow his riches even though we sin against him. Is it not a miracle that God does not wipe us all out every single day for our sins against him? Look at this. He's abundant in steadfast love. Abundant means he has enough to share. He's wealthy in love. And then it says here, he relents from doing harm, meaning he is emotionally relieved He receives comfort when somebody repents and he does not have to fulfill his intended desire to destroy them. Listen, folks, the wages of sin is death, but that is not God's heart for anyone. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I guess what I'm saying to you today is this. I know it is the heart of God for the nations to be saved. The real question is this. Is it yours? Spurgeon said, if there be any one, uh, be any one point in which Christi- the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at the, a, a, a white heat, it is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. Henry Martin said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions, and the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. Why does it matter that God has a heart for people? Because it should be reflected in our heart for people. So number one, we know that God has a heart for the nations because it's part of his nature. Number two, we know that God has a heart for the nations because he's willing to send his people to the ends of the earth. Now I know Jonah is a twisted up dude, but I got to tell you, God had a heart for Nineveh, so he called his preacher to go do something about it. And not only did he call his preacher to do something about it, he spared no expense of labor on Jonah's heart to turn his heart toward him. But think about that. Couldn't God just uh, I mean, after the first round, said, you know what, Jonah, you are so worthless. I'm not sending you to do nothing. I couldn't trust you to carry a pound of sugar across the street to your neighbor. You are just a mess. But you know what God keeps drawing Jonah in He's so intent on reaching Nineveh that he keeps on working in his man before he sends him to take care of the job. And church, I gotta tell you right now, this is still the method and still the plan right now for God to get the gospel to the world. Just like the offers right here. I mean, somebody has got to be called by God and somebody has got to be sent by a church to go preach the gospel to the nations. I mean, Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says this, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But How can they believe or call upon them in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach except they are sent? Church. The fundamental job of Christianity is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that have not yet accepted him. That is why we're here. Listen very carefully. Andrew Murray said this, Christian Christian mission is the only reason you are on this earth. So if Christian mission is the only reason you are on this earth... How's your mission going? The only reason you drew breath this morning was to get the gospel to somebody that needs Jesus. It's the only reason you're alive. It is the express purpose of the church. The church is not a place to entertain goats. The church is a place to feed sheep and send sheep out to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here. And folks, there is a world out here, it might be India, it might be China, it might be uh, in South America, it might be in Central America. For crying out loud, it could be another section of our city where, like Mayport, there's another church that's dying and needs somebody to go in there and preach the gospel. I don't know where it is, I don't know what it is, but I am telling you that it is high time the church remembers and realizes that we are in a position where we should, not not me, not not the pastors, everybody should be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations now let me ask you the same question god asked jonah twice in verse four and in verse nine jonah is this right jonah is this right let me get this straight jonah you're mad because i'm saving people and all of a sudden you're mad about a plant or let me rephrase it. You're more interested in saving whales than saving people? Or you're more interested in a green environment? I mean, this is bizarre, right? You're angry because I, I let a plant get eaten up by a worm? And you're mad about that, but there's 100,000 people in this city that don't know God? Wow, what a question to us today. Is it right? Is it okay? William McDonald said it like this, Luxury, Luxurious living abounds in every corner of our country. While souls are dying for a want of the gospel, Christians are wearing crowns instead of bearing crosses. We become emotionally stirred over sports, politics, and television more than we do souls dying and without Jesus. Somebody better help me up here. We're going to back the bus up about five minutes. Y'all following me? One man said it like this. Persecution is actually only Satan's second best weapon in his arsenal. His first weapon is materialism. A very well-known Chinese Christian leader said these words. It could be that consumerism is more of an effective killer of Christianity than communism. Here is a preacher so consumed with his own well-being, so consumed with his own prejudice, so consumed with his own comfort that he cared more about money, more about health, more about cars, more about houses, more about his own job than people without Christ dying and going into a Christless eternity. And I want to say this to you today. God, forgive us of our sin of not caring about people. friend, I'm here to tell you that's exactly what it is. It's a sin. It's a sin against God and others. Finally, we know God has a heart for the nations because he provided a solution. Now, the solution is in the message that Jonah gave in chapter number 3. In chapter number 3, the Bible says... Uh, in verse number uh, 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet yeah, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You see two things in the sermon. You see the certainty of judgment for people without God. This city will be overthrown. Now, now Listen. I don't know who you are, and I don't know what brought you to church today, but I I would not be doing my job if I did not tell you that if you are here without the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that is a really bad place to be today. Because people outside of God, people outside of his grace, people that have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, even people that are following religion, even people that are doing the best they can, listen, they are outside of the person of Christ. Christ is the only way to heaven, and everybody outside of the person of Christ is doomed for a Christless eternity. That's what what Jonah said to Nineveh. Forty days and it's over, but... There's a second part to the message. Y'all better help me up here. He says, yet 40 days days. Oh, yes, his judgment is coming, but not yet. But not yet. In the same way in which God is going to judge the nations, that God who pours out his wrath on people who do not believe, on people who have sinned against him and committed high crimes in the court of heaven is the same God who through his love and mercy creates a space for people to repent, for people to believe. It's called yet 40 days. How many of you are glad for the 40 days that happened in your life? How many of you are glad that there was a space where it should have all went wrong, you should have already died and went to hell, but for 40 days, God, come on, God had mercy on you, God let you live, he let you breathe, He let you hear about Jesus. He let you accept Jesus. I gotta tell you I deserve to be judged a long time ago. In fact, it was 26 years ago this very day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior long after I should have been gone, long after I should have went to hell, long after I could have been literally sent there for eternity because of my sin and I'm glad for the praying mother. I'm glad for the loving preacher. I'm glad for the gospel preaching church. I'm glad for the person that shared Jesus with me in my 40 days it gave me an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as my savior oh friend listen how do you know that God has a heart for the nations because he's provided a solution he has an answer my first question to you this morning is this have you accepted God's only provision for your salvation have you personally opened up your heart like the front door of your house and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior have you done that that's the very first thing that needs to happen Because outside of that, you have no hope in Jesus Christ. And so if you came to this sermon today and you don't know Jesus, the the, the thing that God would obviously want you to know more than anything is that he loves you. And he's given you this space to trust in him. My final challenge to all of us is simply this. What are you going to do about missions? Now, as I have studied scripture Kyle alluded to this in his presentation I have concluded that there are three essential ways you can be involved in missions number one you can go I would love to send somebody to Kolkata, India to kick a dent in the darkness of 20 million people without Christ God calls us to go he may be calling you to go Hey, how about this? He may be calling your kids to go. He may be calling your grandkids to go. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. What a great story it would be for our church to send people around the world to preach Jesus. Number two, you can give. If you can't go, you can give. And maybe you can do both. But everybody can give. Everybody has resources. Everybody has finances. That's our choice. Our choice to do with what we do with our money is our choice. Everybody can go, everybody can give, and certainly everybody can pray. And I would challenge you that we should be doing a little bit of all three. Every Christian should be going, every Christian should be giving, and every Christian should be praying for the gospel of Jesus Christ to make a difference in our world. Let's pray together if we could. I want to ask you these questions, I've already asked them, but I want to put it on your plate now as Julie plays the song on the piano. Let me ask you this question, do you know Jesus is your savior? Do you know for sure right here, right now that you've accepted Christ, that you're on your way to heaven? My friend, today you can open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus into your life. The Bible says it very plainly, he is the savior, he is the son of God. He died he shed his blood he rose again he is the only way to heaven and the way that you accept him is that you call upon his name a prayer of dependent faith asking God to be your Savior I wonder if there's somebody here today that would say preacher man I need Jesus in my life I need to follow him I need to ask him to be my savior. Well, I want to encourage you to do that right there, right where you're seated. It's a very simple thing. Believe in Jesus and ask him to be your savior and follow him. Simple. But it starts by you inviting Jesus into your heart and your life. You can do that right now by just simply praying a prayer in your heart, in your seat. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it quietly. But you must pray it. I can't pray it for you. And for those that may be a little unfamiliar with church or God, I'd like to form a prayer for you that I'll say. You can repeat the prayer out loud or in your heart, believing that Jesus will save you when you ask. So right there in your seat, you can just pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself, but I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose again for me. Today I claim him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me help me never to be ashamed of you.